Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. This is Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events in the world of golf. Uh, my name is Neil Tappin and this week we are going to concentrate our attention on the unofficial fifth major uh, of the season. I think it's often described as whether or not we believe that's the, the case. I think it's probably one that we will discuss today. It's the Players' Championship and I'm joined in the studio by... Uh, Nick Bonfield. Nick, hi, how are you? Yes, I'm I'm good, thanks, Neil. Yes, how are you? It's nice to be back in the studio, isn't it? It's superb. It's a, a lovely space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and live via telephone link, I can introduce Tom Clark. Hello, I'm also in a lovely space in my house. But um, it, it, if anything, it's lovely because I don't have to see your faces. Well, likewise. <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same yeah, thing. As you were actually. saying that, I think we were both thinking the same thing there. There you go. Everyone's a winner. I'm, l- I'm staring at a telephone, which is uh, infinitely uh, more palatable. And I'm <laughs> staring at a man staring at a telephone, which is even more interesting. <laughs> um, uh, Tom, what's your uh, knowledge of the Players' Championship like? Um, we'll probably find out later, I'm sure, with one of your quizzes. But um, I think it's all right. I played a lot of um, Tiger Woods PlayStation game, where you always used to play Sorgar, So Indeed. Stand me in good stead. This is a good point, actually. He's not going to be regulated on the quiz, is he? No, we're going to have to take his word for it. Mm. No one regulates me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'll give you a quick um, uh, rundown of what to expect uh, in this week's podcast. Firstly, we're going to take a look at Sawgrass itself, the golf course, uh, the test that the players will be be facing this week. Uh, Then we're going to look at what happened last year. Ricky Fowler was the winner. It was one of the big the great comebacks of uh, sort of modern golfing history i think it's fair to say i know that's probably that's possibly overstating it a little bit but it was incredible to watch nonetheless uh, then we're going to have a look at the history of the players championship because it's developing its own uh, interesting history uh, then we're going to hear from mr podrick harrington so this time last week i was sat in podrick's home in Dublin um, we were given the chance to take a look around his house which is a fairly incredible uh, place we'll, we'll come on to that later um, but w- I had a few questions for Podrick so um, you'll d- don't miss out on that one because his answer to who would play you in a movie is quite amusing uh, then we are going to have a quiz uh, as Tom said about the players championship and finally we will pick our tips for who we think will play well uh, so that's the the plan. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at Sawgrass. So it's the stadium course, TPC um, TPC Sawgrass. Um, it's owned by the PGA Tour. It's a peak die layout. Um, it actually un- underwent some renovations in two thousand and six, seven that sort of time, um, and is. Uh, a fascinating golf course because it was built specifically with the idea of being as it is described a stadium golf course so probably the first of a sort of new wave of modern golf courses built for the fans to watch uh nick i'll start with you um what if people aren't too familiar with with the challenge of sawgrass what can people expect risk reward water uh, and a really amphitheatrical feel, oh. if that's the word, which it clearly isn't, <laughs> but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. I think the two words you associate with Pete Dye designs are drama uh, and excitement and a sense of occasion. I know that's the third point. Um, <laughs> but Pete Dye is one of my favourite designers. If you look at the likes of Kira Island as well, there's so much water everywhere. There's so much potential for, for catastrophe. But crucially, he balances that out by providing quite a, a lot of birdie opportunities if people employ the right strategy and put their ball in the right place off the tee. And the greens are actually very small, 
So it's not so much about power here. It's about putting yourself in the correct position off the tee and playing with a good strategy. And Tom, what are your first memories of watching the Players' Championship? Um, well, I think, hang on, let me be the first person to, to mention the 17th for the podcast because um, that must be the, my first memory because I can't, to be fair, it's one of my only memories. You know, you can't not talk about the 17th hole. No, uh, don't worry, we, we, we will do. I'm sure, I'm sure we will. You know, every, every time there's uh, there's disaster, you know, people just put it into the water time and time again. And then obviously then there's also um, uh, people holding running. Uh, who, who hold their third, what was it, Fred Couples? Freddie Couples um, slam dunked his, his third after finding the water. I forget uh, okay. which year. Yeah, early 90s maybe. I mean, yeah, so you know, there, there, there's been plenty of drama there. And, 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 and that's one of the things, you know, until you get past that, 17th hole on the on the final round you're never quite sure who's going to uh, to win it so um yeah it's just a it's just a really good golf course and that, that sunday afternoon pin placement is one of the great pin positions in golf i think sort over of that bunker over on the, on the right, right hand side, side the isn't it tier, yeah yeah um it has it has played host that hole has played host to some great moments tiger woods holding a putt from the top tier down to the bottom where it's incredibly slippery down the hill. I mean, to describe it as slippery is not really, um, it's not really the right word. It's just super fast. And he's the only player I can remember to have held that putt. Sort of classic Tiger Woods coming towards the end of his, I think it was his Saturday, late Saturday night, trying to get the lead, made that putt. And it's only, the hole only actually plays 130 yards, which for those guys, I mean, that's nothing. That is nothing. That's a wedge for most of them. I would think, you know, if it's into the wind, maybe a couple of guys would hit 9-9, but a lot of them will be hitting gap wedges and wedges in there. And given how good they are with those clubs, there's no reason why any of them should go in the water. Yet I read a stat that said that I think something like over 100 balls went in the water one year on that hole uh, during the tournament, which if a little bit of wind and the crowd being right there creates this... It's, it's like the, the ultimate test in golf, isn't it? This and it's that stadium feel on that hole as well because exactly. the hordes of spectators on the banks surrounding the green, island green, pressure. Oh, one of the biggest events on the global golfing calendar. has got everything. I think one of the things... Go on, Tom. Go on, I was going to say, it's, it's really, if you look at the Phoenix Open um, and what they do with the, their, uh, what the hole is it, the 16th hole, where they've actually turned it into a proper stadium now. Um, you know, I think the 17th was always there, but they did, they never needed the stands because the way that the hole is it's is designed below, um, is below the spectators, and you know, there's a, a, the natural uh, banks which people just sit on and um, I think drink quite a lot. Um, I think that's what Phoenix had tried to to um, reproduce there, which they obviously they're doing successfully now. So it was a, a real forerunner to things like that. And since the um the renovations to the golf course. I was reading about it yesterday and it seems that a lot of the renovations they made in 2006-7 weren't actually to the design, to the sort of fabric of the golf course. So it plays not too dissimilar to the way that it would have played before 2006. What they did was they put in a whole load of drainage. They shifted a ridiculous amount of turf, uh, put in a new drainage system, aerated the greens, and actually it plays a lot firmer and faster than... um, uh, than the, the original Players' Championship did. So uh, so whilst it's a long golf course on the card, it's very long. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but it'll be, you know... 7-4 se- maybe? 7-4, 7-5, that sort of mark. Yeah. So it, it looks quite long. It doesn't play anywhere near that. But what it is is a shopmaker's golf course because you throw in a little bit of wind. The only way to control your, your golf ball is 
through the the flight through the spin that you're creating because uh, the greens play a lot more f- firmly and you've got to be good off the tee and really be dedicated to your lines because uh, you know you see a lot of times the ball running through the fairway and nestling into a nasty lie so it really is about putting yourself in the correct positions and as you say a shot maker's golf course now tom i've got an interesting stat for you i know that's nick who usually enjoys stats lovely. but <laughs> uh, what, a, what a lovely way for a friday morning to start indeed indeed um it was the Sawgrass, the land, was bought by the European Tour, by the, the PGA Tour's chief executive, a guy called Dean Beeman, in 1980 for one dollar. And it was 415 acres of swampland, and they never thought that anyone would ever be able to create a golf course on this piece of land. And there was some, I, th- I think I've read some sort of fable that says, or story that says that there was a hundred dollar bet that he would never be able to create a golf course on this patch of land. And it's now turned into one of the most iconic golf courses in the world. Well, and Pete Dye is quite good at building golf courses on swamp land, isn't he? <laughs> so he chose the right man for the job. He is indeed. And interesting, but, I was... I was say, that, that was not a stat. Uh, One dollar was, <laughs> was the stat, I'd say. It was <laughs> tenuous. <laughs> 415 acres. <laughs> there, was, there was data in there. <laughs> <but> <laughs> there was... Okay. Um... Did you enjoy it, though, Tom? Oh, well, yes. <laughs> and what can I say? Well, it was, it, it's, uh, it, it, as I say, it's become one of the most iconic venues in golf. And the fact that it's only 36 years old, you know, it's competing against, for, in that status, you know, uh, golf courses in the UK that are well over 100 plus years old. And um, it's created this through what many people, I guess, in the British Isles would say was a manufactured um, not the way that they like their golf courses to be made. A lot of people in the UK like their golf courses to be very natural, like their golf courses to feel as if they are part of the landscape. Now, there's no doubting that when you go to Sawgrass, when you see the layout, um, it has been cra- crafted by you know, man-made hands. Wh- which do you prefer? Do you prefer golf courses that are uh, man-made and designed to be exciting or golf courses that feel as if they've just been sort of carefully, slowly over time etched into the landscape? I don't really have strong strong views on that one, to be honest. Thanks, Nick. Tom? Tom? I think the whole point of golf is that actually we are very fortunate. We're not, um, we don't, we're not constrained by dimensions of a, of a pitch like football or cricket or anything like that. The whole point about golf is that we are able to play on all these different landscapes. And it means that then people can have their own opinions. So whether it's that they love a Lynx course, which has been there for hundreds of years so what would your opinion be then tom well, that's what i asked what was my favorite <laughs> my favorite is um well uh, my favorite is the um well my favorite golf course to watch on sorry is augusta um and you say would i rather watch augusta or would i wa- rather watch the open at st andrews i'd rather watch augusta so from that i'd probably say i'd rather like the more man-made um green courses where there's obviously lots of other people out there who'd rather see some seaside courses which are probably a little bit more brown i'm probably just in tom's camp here as well actually and when you look at sawgrass it's got a selection of amazing holes on the back nine that par 5 11th with the water that comes diagonally across and that massive bunker tabletop green and then the last three holes are up there with the best last three holes on the pga tour because that par 5 16th as ricky showed last year is eagleable but also (laughs) good word if you stray right you're in the water 17 needs no more introduction. And 18, people often spend a lot of their energy focusing on the 17th without giving due attention to the 18th, which is an incredibly difficult 
closing hole with water all down the left in a, in a sort of crescent shape. And again, if you pull your approach, you're in water as well. So no lead is big enough, but also it gives people the opportunity to come from behind. And I think that's the hallmark of a really, really good golf course. I don't think there's any other context apart from a golfing conversation where you could get away with using the word eagleable. Uh. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, so what, so let's move on to what happened last year. Ricky Fowler won. He shot 67 in the final round. Uh, played the last six holes in six under par. Um, he finished at minus 12 for the tournament. How good was that performance? Great. It was undoubtedly great, but we've got to remember he, he was had no pressure on his shoulders because he was basically out of the tournament with six holes to play. And I, I remember thinking he got a little bit lucky with his approach to 16. 16 I think yeah. he pushed it right at the flag, if memory yeah. serves me correctly. But, I mean, that fed in nicely to his aggressive mindset and he still have the hold of parts. And I think he birdied 17 three times that day. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's, I think that's right. Oh, yeah. did he? Right, yeah, so he birded just twice in the playoff as well. I mean, you can say that there was no pressure on him coming from behind, but when he was in the pressure-filled situation, he delivered... He went above and beyond, well, and to birdie that whole three on, times is incredible. Shot in the on the playoff was was ridiculous. Again, a touch right of the flag, I think. Yeah, it was. It was between the flag and the water, which is only a must be only be about. I think you would describe that as being in the zone, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It it, it was. Um, it's great to watch, when, isn't it? When you see a a top flight sportsman. I mean, for us, particularly golf, because we, you know, we're connected to the game. When you see a top-flight sportsman in that level of confidence and freewheeling and playing such great, golf. and then with a wedge in his hand as well, I mean, you can understand why he was able to hit, hit uh, three shots so close to the flag. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, do we think Ricky can go back to back at the players? Uh, his form is not been great since the a great start to the season. Uh, it's not been bad. Yeah, played fantastically well at the start of the season. Go on, Tom. I think Ricky Fowler's actually... Um, there's so many people playing well at the moment, and we keep on saying this. We've, we've said this for the last few months. All the big names have really won, except Rory, probably. Um, and Ricky Fowler's having a very good season. I think he's had six top tens or something like that. So um, he's playing very well, and there's no reason any of the guys... Can't can't win it. So I mean, Ricky could easily win it again this this week. Um, he could he could he could you know. I know we're, we're talking whilst there's a tournament going on, and he's playing in that tournament, and I think he's doing reasonably well at it. So he could even win that one. So um, yeah, he, he he can definitely win it. But there's a there's there's about as ever with every tournament, there's about fifteen favourites at the moment. So, um, <laughs> it is a bit like that at the moment, isn't it? He's the kind of guy who relishes the risk-reward golf courses and he takes on the challenge and invariably does well. So it is a, a course that's tailor-made for him in that sense. And he's knocking on the door of doing something big in the game, isn't it? So, and, and he's one of these players that enjoys the biggest stages of them all. So it wouldn't surprise you to see him pop up and do well. But then equally, it wouldn't surprise you if Rory did well. It wouldn't surprise you if Jason Day or Jordan Spieth did well. Although if Jordan Spieth is going to do well, he's going to have to hit a good wedge shot on 17. No, yeah. And I'm absolutely <laughs> sure that the patrons, or uh, actually they're not called patrons, the fans that, stand, that sit behind the 17th tee are going to remind Jordan of that little shot on 12 here on Sunday at Augusta. Um, might be a little uncomfortable, but... I don't doubt for a second that Spieth will look at it as an opportunity to prove himself um, and will probably do something stupid like make four consecutive birdies or something. Um, let's just have a quick a quick talk about the history of the, the tournament because it's a, it's a positive who's who of um, 
golfers, great golfers through the ages who've won it. And I guess that's ultimately the the true test of whether a golf course is any good or not. Have a look at the people who've won there. Yeah, and I think not just big names, but also the diversity of winners in the sense that some are long hitters, some are great putters, some have great short games, some are a renowned course strategist. That's a very good point, Nick. I'd not thought about that. Which is something that struck me when I was looking back through the past winners earlier. Um, I think that speaks volumes. Um, Tom, which of the... Um, looking back over the the time that you've you spent looking at the players championship which tournaments can you remember do you do, sort of stand out in your mind as being that was a that was an interesting well, week that was a great week strangely uh, the one that really springs to mind is when henrik stenson won when he um <laughs> and which i remember it was when he was just hitting his three wood just so far but he was teeing it up he was getting his wedge out of his bag and he would just he just take a little divot on the tee and then put his ball on the little divot and then smash his three wood 360 yards or whatever um, <laughs> it was outrageous I think you've probably and, oversold um, that one slightly <laughs> <laughs> 360 with a three wood it's 2009 it's punchy but <laughs> uh, the one I remember actually is one of the. I don't know if you remember. He was hitting his, his three wood so he was hitting his three wood as far as everybody else's driver. So um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. But um, it, it, no, that that was. There has been a few times where there's people who have run away with it um, at Sawgrass, and if they are really in the zone, they can go away with it. I think um, when Kamer won as well, I think he he won by a, a fair amount as well. But um, uh, th- uh, yeah. has Kamer won it twice? No. When he won it, he holed a, putt, a ridiculous putt across the 17th green because he hit it in the water, didn't he? Yeah, and Spieth was right there with him, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty oh. sure that Kymer only won it by one. He was, he might I'm have had a big lead. Oh, and actually, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the same year when he, when he won the US Open by that. Yeah, Pinehurst, <laughs> where he won by about 17 <laughs> shots. Think, just to be clear, you're thinking of Pinehurst. Yes, good, good. Well, thank you for that. Um, well, <laughs> I was actually going to make the opposite point that you just made there, Tom, which is you said a lot of times yeah. players run away with it. And I'm sure there often have been, ends up in a playoff. It been times where players have won it by a few. But with the last three holes playing as they do, it's it's one of those golf courses, a bit like the last few holes at Carnoustie. No, no big, no lead is ever big enough, is it? At, at, um, no, at Sawgrass. And I think, I think with those holes, those holes are that they're, as Nick's already said, that on the 16th, the water's on the right. On the 17th, the water is everywhere, and on the 18th, the water's on the left. So it's not like you've got a go-to shot that you can really stick with. Um, you know, if your game's not up to scratch for some, you know, one one or the other, um, it's going to be found out. So um, it really does test your, your game those last three hours. The the one that I remember very clearly, the tournament that I remember very clearly was Craig Parks winning. Craig Parks, Parks. Well, when he chipped in on yeah. seventeen, yeah, and he ju- and he chipped in on eighteen, didn't he, or chipped on on sixteen? I think it, he might have chipped in three times. Yeah, or it was crazy, like that. And you just thought this guy, he's come from nowhere. There's no way he's going to win the Players Championship, and he just kept doing it. And if if you're going to break down anywhere, it would be around the green. So I do remember, and I think Tiger might have been in the hunt. I'm pretty sure Tiger was in the hunt for it that that year. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, g- yeah. Given it was sort of mid two thousands. Um, okay, well, uh, now it's time to hear from Podrick Harrington. So this time last um, week, I travelled to Dublin to see Podrick um, with Footjoy. Footjoy had have a cool piece of new technology coming out that I can't say anything about now, but that you will find all out out oh, all go about. On, tell us. Go on, tell us. <laughs> no, Tom, you'll just have to wait. Um, okay. 
uh, either that or I'll tell you once the podcast is over. <laughs> um, and he welcomed us to his home and we got the tour of the house. So we got to see that uh, Podrick uh, has the two claret jugs that he won on his breakfast bar. Uh, he has the USPGA Championship trophy on his kitchen What's table. What's it called? What? The USPGA Championship the trophy. The Wanamaker trophy. Ah. The Zoe Wanamaker. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, he's got, he showed us his gym. He's got an incredible hitting area, a hitting bay that he uses. Uh, he then You then go outside and he's got a few holes in his back garden. Incredible place. And we will have quite a lot of content on that on the Golf Monthly site. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But uh, for now, I'm going to hand over to me. In Dublin, this time last week, and Podrick Harrington. Hello, and uh, welcome to Mr. Podrick Harrington's house. Podrick, thank you for having us. Uh, you're welcome. Um, Podrick, I've got some f- a few quick fire questions for you. Okay. So, um, if you could be a golfer from another era, who would you be? Oh, uh, Sam Snead. Swashbuckling, I like the idea. Arla Palmer, too, but probably Sam Snead. It was cool. Yeah, just the way he played the game, he hit it and found it and. Uh, you know, hit it a long way and was exciting. I think so. Yeah, definitely Sam Snead. If you were to play golf left-handed, left-handed, what would your handicap be? I, 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 given like a bit of time, maybe six months to a year, I'd have no problem being below five handicap. Pretty simply, <laughs> uh, mo- most of the, most of our ability now as pros and that is mental anyway. So just it would take a few months to get the physical side up to up to speed but I, I'd be disappointed if I couldn't get to scratch sickening well it, it's not it's, it's not that you're thinking it's a physical game I, I'm I, it's much more mental making the right choice of club when to go for things when not to go for things okay. so one, it would take a few months to get the physical side up but uh, for sure after that yeah it would be just the same old can I chip and put here and my expectations of what I can do in different shots okay uh should we do away with gimmies in match play? Uh, yeah, gimmies are certainly a terrible thing if you're learning how to play the game. Okay. So my my twelve year old son is just starting to play, and I I don't let him or any of his friends have gimmies. Got to put it in the hole. Uh, I see this a lot in the states where they give all sorts of puts, and of course, then when they're asked to put from a foot, they they get nervous because they're not used to it. So if it comes to match play when I was playing as a as an amateur I certainly would have had a reputation of not giving very many puts and my attitude was if it's that short I don't mind putting it myself uh, and if I don't give you a put from a foot well why should you mind tapping it in I'm, I'm not insulting you or I don't if, if you got insulted I'd be more likely not to give it to you <laughs> uh, but my attitude was look if anybody could miss it if I could miss it I'd make anybody else put it and I know I've missed putts from 18 inches uh, yeah if I was 3 or 4 up and it was 18 inches uphill I'd probably give it to you but I certainly wouldn't uh, <laughs> it's very generous of you thank you <laughs> well, I, I, I don't see it as a generous thing see this is the thing I, I never saw it like that as a, as a, I never saw it as a slice on somebody or myself to hit the putt and I never saw it as a generous thing the only reason you give a putt is because it's unmissable that's it so it's nobody's being generous in giving it. They're just giving it to you. And I, I, it's a sign of weakness on somebody's behalf to give a putt that it's possible that the person could miss it. And I've seen it the odd time. I remember watching it in, on TV and two Ryder Cups ago and I saw a guy give a putt that was at least two and a half feet. Like, that's incredibly weak. Does he want to try and be friends? Does he want to be nice? <laughs> you know, what's he trying to do given a two and a half footer? This is, yeah. You're out there playing competitive golf. If the putt is possible to miss it, 
And I, I think Lee Westwood summed it up really well in uh, in Valhalla. He was made put a put that was a foot downhill. Like it was tiny. Right. And he, it was, he, I think it was to win. And he said afterwards he was shaking like a leaf. Yeah. It was quite possible he could miss it. Uh, so the situations dictate whether a put's going to be given or not. So if there's a lot of pressure, yes, the shorter the put, the more likely you're going to put up. Again, I think it's crazy. I've seen this happen. A guy has two puts to win from 10 feet and the guy makes him put. I think that's stupid. I give that. I give that every time ahead of uh, giving a guy, you know, once it gets to that range, yeah, put it. No, no embarrassment for me and no slight meant to him. It's just, it's possible to miss it. You're going to put it. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd definitely be wanting me to put those. Um, if you were to play in a two-club tournament, so next year, PGA Tour, they decide they're going to do something a bit mad. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry, to take that back. You could only use a putter or a driver. You've got the rest of the golf clubs in the bag as well. But you could have had to choose between a putter and a driver. Which would you go for? Oh, putter all day. Nobody surely play without a putter by choice. Most shots are saved around the green. and You know, depending on the golf course, especially if the conditions are warm and, and firm, you can get away without your driver. Uh, you wouldn't get away without a driver probably in Great Britain and Ireland much because the ball doesn't go as far. Uh, conditions are heavier, but... I thought you'd say driver. No, I thought because you would be capable of putting with pretty much every golf club in your bag. Yes, you are capable of doing it, but, you know, hitting a 20-yard shorter off the tee might or might not cost you a shot, but missing a, a putt because you're using the wrong piece of equipment, that's a genuine shot gone. So I, I would be, yeah, I, I used, we used to play three club challenges, as, as a, anybody, as you said, if you're from Great Britain and Ireland, there's always that, usually was it, you call it Boxing Day or St. Stephen's Day, we used to have a three club challenge, and you learned pretty quickly the putter was the most important club to have in the bag. You couldn't afford to give up, uh, you know, a couple of missed putts during the round. So always have the putter in always there. Always have. Yeah. Okay. Um, top or shank? What's worse? What's more embarrassing? I'm not, I mean, presumably you've never well, hit either. Um, <laughs> of course I've hit them and, I, and, and we'll hit them again. Uh, I think you will find that a shank is closer to a good golf swing. But it's harder to fully understand and fix the shank on the golf course. So a shank is very dangerous and, and really, really does knock your confidence to bits on the course because you don't know what to do with it when it comes to the next shot. Obviously, if you shank it off the side of a slope, you can blame the slope for it or, you know, circumstances. A top shot, yeah, I have top shots. I, I have done in it. In competition? I've, I've done it in competition yeah. and I'm sure I'll do it again. Uh, it's embarrassing, but physically, you can. It's easier to write off a top shot and just go on and say, "Hey, look, that's a complete uh, one off." That's a one off. Shank, you don't know what's coming next, and you're likely to hit a, a pull with your next shot to make sure you're not going near the heel. <laughs> but I will say that you get to an amateur. Sometimes, say the shank can actually be quite close to a pretty decent shot, whereas an amateur is probably more afraid of topping the ball. Uh, you know, a beginner, let's say. Yeah, yeah. So for a pro, definitely shank is definitely a nightmare. It can be hard to come back from that on the golf course. Um, what's the hardest golf course you've ever played? Like in terms of not necessarily well layout, but layout and tournament conditions. What's been the hardest test you've ever been? To Oakmont, Carnoustie ninety nine, Carnoustie ninety nine, Oakmont. Uh, 
What year did Cabrera 2008? win? Cabrera won the US Open there. I, th I think it could have been... Yeah, it was closer. Mm. I think it could have been earlier than that. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely Oakmont was, was incredibly hard. Carnoustie, uh, Augusta, if they wanted to be. Okay. Like Augusta, they could have a shoot mid-70s, no problem. <laughs> if, they, if they don't use the, the full length of the golf course, they don't use the, the tough pins altogether, they generally throw something in there to make it easy. Uh, at times so yeah Augusta could be could definitely be the toughest if, if they so inclined but Carnoustie and Oakmont were the two toughest I've come across uh, some would say Birkdale the one I won in 2008 was pretty tough <laughs> but it was but playing but a, it's conditions yeah it's a big strong golf course with tough conditions uh, Kew Island can be very tough if they want it to be as well uh, so, you know so a lot of the golf courses what we tend to find now is you get a big championship golf course and then they pair it back for us when we're in the tournament and, and make it a little bit easier and fairer whereas the worst type of golf course like Whistling Straits is a perfect example that could be like massive golf course it could be as tough as anything but we get there then they push a few tees up and reasonably generous with pins at times and they just make it so it's very playable we like that sort of test when a golf course is really difficult and it's made easier for us. We like that. Okay. The ones that we don't like are the ones that are easy golf courses that they end up trying to trick up. Right. To make it to make difficult. it artificially difficult. We do not like yeah. when they trick up the golf courses to make it artificially yeah. hard. We much prefer the big, strong stern test. That's then reasonable pin positions, or you know, tees are moved up. You know, and it can make a difference. TB moved up seven, eight yards on the tee box. Just. Uh, can make quite a difference to a hole so like oftentimes you see these 500 yard par fours in majors and on a Tuesday we'd be playing right off the back of the tee and we'd be hitting hybrid in or even a five wood into the green and we're you know all the pros would be moaning <laughs> we get to the tournaments be wedge hit in there I swear to you in the tournament you know we figure it out go down the right side it's a hard You're spot right. your, your tee gets moved up you know 12 yards the pin is at the front one of the days you know it's a wedge or a nine iron uh, it's amazing how the one thing that doesn't scare us is Lent. Not, okay. not if the weather's good. Like, and, th and that's an issue, you know, in, in terms of when they do. It's a big issue here in Great Britain and Ireland. Uh, you see on the TV, golf course is 7,400 yards and it's all nice, very playable. Uh, <laughs> Dave already right, bringing me, checking in on me. Uh, uh, yeah, they see on TV... He's probably watching this live. He possibly and he's playing is. with me here. <laughs> uh, you see a big long golf course in the states, and then seven thousand four hundred yards is a ridiculous length here in Great Britain and Ireland. Golf ball just doesn't go like it goes in the heat when it firms up. I played Houston three weeks ago. I'd one sixty two into the wind off the left, and it was about eight mile an hour, ten mile an hour wind. I hit nine iron and pitched a pin high. I deliberately hit nine iron one sixty two. I'm playing with my son two weeks ago here and I've hit six iron into the same condition same wind different and it's gone 145 yards right. 145 yards and I've hit nine iron 162 you've got you can't when you're watching TV basically and you see a guy who's got 180 yards and he's hitting eight iron in the don't States, worry too much about it that's yes he is hitting eight iron but it's warm the ball's releasing he's pumped up we hit the I hit the golf ball far further on a Thursday than I do on a Tuesday and again, I hit it further on a Sunday than I did in the Thursday. Thursday. So as the tournament moves on, the golf course gets short or we get more pumped up. Okay. Um, what's the worst etiquette 
mistake that someone can make? Watch the pros for role models. We're, we're very poor role models. Uh, <laughs> well, look, we're, we're under huge time constraints when we're on the golf course to get around the place. So you'll see pros walk ahead of their playing partners. You'll see them, would you both bear in mind, you'll see them leave the putting surface or the putting area before the last guy's uh, finished out. They're actually told in US college golf to leave. Like as a kid, I'd get a clip across the ear if I walked away from the green when somebody was putting out. You know, you were, you were meant to put the flag back in. Uh, personally, you know, fixing divots, fixing pitch marks, and, and I mean not fixing them with diligence. You'll see if somebody hit a pitch mark with a putter. That right. just drives me up the wall. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they leave a brown scar on the green, which has to be fixed continuously during the tournament, doesn't heal. You know, they wouldn't do that if it was on their own line. So yeah. to me, yeah, I have a little bit of bugbear about not being diligent in fixing your pitch mark and doing it properly. Uh, and obviously, you know, bunkers and things like that is... is not really a professional team the caddies the do caddies. that well so probably if you if you're looking for my bugbear uh probably fixing pitch marks yes okay and finally um project who would play you in a movie of yourself you know I, brad pitt obviously <laughs> maybe he's getting a little old to play me uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. does he have a good enough golf swing though that's the, the... you know what Teach anybody to look good in the movie. It's the simplest you, thing you, in the world you, to teach somebody didn't to look good. If they did it very good, you'd be upset. No, you could teach them in no time at all to look good in the camera. Okay. Yeah. So actually, just get them to swing a stick without the golf ball and it will look like you're okay. making a good move. So <laughs> yeah, I, I often look at that. It's pretty easy to make somebody look like they can swing a golf club well. It's obviously tougher when you put the golf ball in front of them and they have to hit it. But uh, I think you could get, get by. I, I think I'd be looking, I think they need to get the character and the looks right first and we'll, I'll worry about the golf swing after that. Yeah. What's his Irish accent like? He was pretty good in Snatch, I can yeah. tell you. <laughs> um, Podrick, thank you very much for your time. Thank Cheers, you. thank you. Okay, so that was Podrick Harrington. Uh, he, uh, Brad Pitt would play, Nick, who would play you in a movie of yourself? I've actually answered this question Zach recently. Zach Galifianakis? Uh, I'll probably say Seth Rogen. <laughs> Seth Rogen. Yeah, seems a good fit. <laughs> that is a good shout. That isn't a bad shout. Yeah. Uh, Tom? Oh, um, uh, Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Did you say that? Nah. Yeah, that's what I said. Not Essex enough. That's it. He's a very good actor. You can, I'm sure you can find an Essex accent from somewhere. Ray Winston. <laughs> Not Ray Winston. <laughs> Ray Winston, did you say? Oh, he's from Essex, isn't he? Is he? <laughs> I don't think he is. I think he's from... Maybe Joey Essex. Bend. Yeah, Joey Essex. No, that gives him too much credit. No, no. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on anyway. <laughs> anyway. Give me too much credit. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Let's get back to the Players' Championship, golf. And I have a quiz for you, chaps. Um, head to head? Uh, uh, let me just... How many questions have I got? There's, there's nine questions. So why don't we do... 4-4 four, four decider. 4-4 four, four and a decider, but it's a, yeah, okay. Right. So, who wants to start? Tom. Tom. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go first. Okay. Um, Defending champ. Your sawgrass question. When was the Players' Championship first played at TPC Sawgrass, the venue that we currently know and increasingly enjoy watching? That's a very strangely worded question. When was the tournament first played at the Sawgrass venue that we currently know? 
because it was played at Sawgrass before, I think, but it was a different golf course. I, I might be wrong in I'm that. I'm going to say 1981. Oh, close. No, no cigar. Correct. I think it's 1974 or 6. Way out. 1982. It's played a few times at different places. We played a series of uh, successive different states for lots of years, actually. Um, okay. I thought Jack Nicholas won the first one at Sawgrass in the 70s. Poor research. Well, I, I had already told you that the 415 acres of swampland was sold to the PGA Tour for $1 in 1980. So well, I must have switched off at that point. <laughs> as riveting as the stats was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so Nick, uh, who was the win- first winner at TPC Sawgrass? <laughs> Hal Sutton. Wrong. Jerry Pate. Or, as he's known in the Golf Monthly Office, Jerry Pate. Andy. Um, so that's nil-nil um, Thomas um, four Europeans have won at TPC Sawgrass the Players' Championship name them oh I've got no chance absolutely <laughs> no chance yes you have but, but I haven't yeah, yeah you have you've named one of them you've named two of them four already yeah oh hang on four Europeans four Europeans you've named two of them already Martin Kamer, Henrik Stenson. Yeah. Is that half a point? That's half a point, yeah. I'll give you half a point. Nick's not happy about that. Um, I, I, I could cheat by looking at my laptop, but I'm not going to. Um, uh, oh, um, oh, oh, this, I, I, I'm, There's one in recent recent memory. Is there? Yeah. Who won it before Kaimer? I think it was before Kaimer. May have been a few years before that. I can't remember. I've, I've still got baby brain. Um, <laughs> I think that's a permanent thing for you, actually, Tom. Ronaldo and Colin Montgomery. No, Garcia and Sandy Lyle. You're stuck on half a point, although that's in this game that appears to be a valuable score. Garcia was, I think, some years before Kymer. I think that was 2008. No, I, I think Kymer was 2014. Garcia won, has won it twice, hasn't he? Has he? Did Sandy Lyle win it, really? That's, yeah. That's There's really a lot of conjecture going on in this room. <laughs> no, Garcia won 2008. Stenson won 2009. I'm fairly sure. Kaima won 2014. Yeah, did Garcia not win it in 2013? No, Tiger Woods did. Oh, yeah, he did. Okay, scrap that. Uh, feel free to uh, let us know on any of our social <laughs> media channels. Uh, who's right, who's wrong, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, Nick, uh, who hit his tee shot into the water in a playoff uh, that he would then go on to lose against Sergio Garcia? Uh, that's the seventeenth hole, by the way. Who hits tee shot on the seventeenth into the water? Paul Goidos. Correct. Oh. Tom Sawgrass expert. Tom, you're half a point down. Paul Goidos. Remember that. <laughs> Two thousand and fifteen. Tom, how many shots did Ricky Fowler play the last four holes in? Um. Oh God, hang on. Let's get your calculator out. Maths is not good. I'm going to say um, the last four holes, yeah. The last four holes, and just so everyone knows, we've we've been <laughs> we've been asked to vacate the studio that we're in uh, by some people who are waiting for us to finish. So, Tom, if you wouldn't mind answering the question uh, with with I'm a degree of eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Correct. Yes, we're not in any particular rush. Uh, Nick, you're half a point down again. 
That was a gift as well, that question. Anyway. Um, and the European one as well. Who's made oh. the most eagles at Sawgrass in tournament history? Well, someone who's played <laughs> there for a number of years, so logically. <laughs> Adam Scott. No. If it's Tiger Woods, I'd be mad. Tiger Woods? No, Freddie Couples. Had a great rec- record wow. up at, at Sawgrass. Yeah. Um, Thomas, you're oh. leading by half a point. How many times has a winner defended at Sawgrass? A defended, I mean successfully defended. I've got that for your question. Twice. No, never. So, um, before the final question, can I just interject and say what an absolute scandal it is that you gave him half a point for naming Sergio Garcia and Martin Keimer, two people we'd already talked about. No, he didn't. He got Stenson and Keimer. I said Harry Stenson, so get it right. He's got baby baby brain. We established on a previous podcast that's not a thing. I think when you you take Tom's IQ, you add baby brain. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. Should have given him a a full point, really. Nick, don't want to lose another quiz to me. No. So, Nick, to pull it out of the fire, our almost weekly question... How much is a weekly stadium? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I really should remember the You answers. always look it up the weeks I don't ask it, which is um, absolutely brilliant. So I think previous ones have ranged from 150 <laughs> to 300. So this will be at the end of the scale, I would have thought. So I'm going to say $300. Wrong. It's actually unbelievable value. Uh, Tommy, you don't ever think it's great value, but it's $165. Ridiculous. It's great value, that. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, right. so well, I've lost another quiz. Tom, you've won. What was the tiebreaker of interest? The tiebreaker was very much from the same family of questions. Um, how much can a family of four go and spend one day at the, the, um, the Players' Championship for? $90. How much? $90. Ooh, I think it'd be more than that. I'll say ninety-one dollars then. Ninety-five. <laughs> 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 Tactical quizzing. <laughs> Tom wins another one. <laughs> uh, objectively, looking at that quiz, I think you'd have to argue that my questions were harder. Objectively, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> okay, so let's move on and finally wrap up by talking about our picks for the week. Um, obviously, a big tournament like this is going to attract a reasonable amount of um, of interest from people looking to lay on a few quid, see who's going to do well. And we're all going to pick our uh, favourite and our sort of outsider. And I think we uh, ranked outsider as some, anyone, any player who is outside 50 to 1. Uh, but we don't have any odds yet because this is the Friday of the week before, so um, so you have to bear with us slightly on that front. But uh, I'm going to go first because I always go last, and Nick always takes my choice, so I'm going to go first. And I, my favourite is Rory McIlroy. <laughs> well done, you! He's uh, isn't he due a win? I mean, come on, due a win. His record's brilliant as well. Just doesn't seem to ever finish outside the top ten. No, he's. He's due a win. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah. God knows whether he's going to do it. We don't really need to qualify that pick <laughs> anymore, to be honest. No. <laughs> We're recording this as he's eight shots off the leaders after round one at Kyle Hollow. So. Yeah, true. A bit rusty. Ring rusty after um, after a, a couple of weeks off after Augusta. Uh, my second choice, I was going to go... on. What? Just mix the order up. I'm going to do one, 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 two, two, two. Do I? Yeah. Okay. 
Right, Nick, you okay. go. Who's okay. your favourite? Justin Rose. <laughs> Much what like Rory McIlroy's duo win. He wins every year on the PGA Tour, or at least he has done for about the last seven years consecutively. And he's hitting the ball so well off the tee at the moment, both long and straight, and that is crucial to come into these small and sloping greens. So I'm going to say Justin Rose. Putting well enough? Uh, no, not, not on balance, but he can. He's known to have good putting week, so let's hope he has a good putting week. And he, he putts well on, on firmer, quicker greens, so fingers crossed. Plus you have a poster of him on your bedroom. Plus wall. he's a great lad, so yeah. <laughs> good luck, Justin. <laughs> uh, Thomas, who's your favourite? Henrik Stenson. Oh, okay. Good shout. He'll win. Same as everybody else. He's due a win. He's got a very good record there. Um, you sound tired. There you go. T- say again? You sound tired. Do I? Yeah, you sound weary. Yeah. An eight-week-old baby son does that to people. It does. Um, it does indeed. Henrik Stenson. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm going to go f- look at the uh, our sort of outsiders. I was going to go for Kevin Nah, but I thought he would probably be inside the 50 to 1 zone. No, he won't. I wouldn't have thought. No? No. All right. I'll, I'll go give you Kevin Nah. I'll go Kevin Nah then. Okay. I'll go Kevin Nah. Um, he's played well there in the past. Um, and he's a good golfer, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he is. Although he's only won once on the PJ Tour. Yeah, but he's. In- well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, odds aren't aren't in his favour, really, when you consider that. (laughs) Thanks, yeah. I hadn't really thought about his actual overall winning record. I'd looked at where he was in the current FedEx Cup rankings, and he's in the top... Yeah, he finishes in the top 25 most weeks, but he's also a bottler, so... Oh, dear. Poor old Kevin Nahr. Nick, that's harsh. That is harsh. Sorry, it's the way I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, who's your outsider? KJ Choi. KJ Back Choi. to some good form this year, past champion. Good grief, he's an outsider. It's a, it's a course where, as I've said before, you just need to manoeuvre your ball around nicely and make good decisions on the course. And KJ's got brilliant short games. He's very steady, isn't very he? Very steady. Doesn't he probably won't a lot throw of bad in, shots? Doesn't throw in a lot of bad shots. Doesn't make a lot of double and triple bogeys. So he'll probably avoid the water quite successfully. He well. And he's yeah, he's won there as well. So um, KJ Choi's boys. <laughs> um, Tom. Um, I have decided I'm going to go with Charlie Hoffman. Who Ooh, he might be, I think hang on he'll a be second. inside 50 to 1 here. Yeah, Tommy. You I can't have done Hoffman there. as an outsider. He's just won on the PGA Tour. I know, he's tipped by my good self in my betting column. He's about 30th in the wins. world and he'll be in, inside 50 to 1 the, for sure. Oh, the Kevin vibes Nile's from right. the studio would suggest Kevin that... Right for Neil, but Charlie right. okay, okay. You've been rejected okay. on that can't one. can't compare Kevin Nart to Charlie Hoffman, surely. All right, Nick. Because Charlie Hoffman's won five times on the PGA Tour and about three events in the last 18 months. And Kevin Nahr has won once. David DeVal, then. Is that any good? Yeah, that works. (laughs) That'll do. 1999 (laughs) champion, I believe. Indeed. I remember that very clearly. Okay, I'm going to go with Kevin Kisner. Is that allowed? Kevin Costner. Kevin Kevin Costner. Borderline. He finished second last year. Yeah, borderline. He did, yeah. Is one... Uh, He's not... He's about the 35th best player in the world and he was runner-up there last year. He's... He, I'm, he's, I'm not accepting that, Tom. Yeah, denied. <laughs> Try again. Um, okay, who am I going to be allowed to have? Uh, David Duval. <laughs> how about? Huh? How about you just let me pick mine? Okay, you know I've. Yeah, we've tried twice, but you failed. Come on, we're getting knock on the door. Yeah. Bill Haas. Bill no, Haas. God, have Bill Haas. That. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with your interpretation of the word outsider? <laughs> Stop being players from inside the world's top 35. He was 60 to 1 last week. Okay. Uh, look, right, fine. I'm going to give it to you just for the sake of the fact that we are actually going to be uh, 
turfed out of this room in a moment. Um, anyway, um, thank you, gents, for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoy the Players' Championship as much as we will. It is one of the uh, best fixtures on the US tour. It's one certainly worth staying up for on Sunday night as the action unfolds. Um, there is definitely going to be some uh, excitement as they go down the stretch. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, and we look forward to welcoming you into the clubhouse next time. <laughs>